Ron and Anian. We're not teaching the next generation about cars. It's got to be done. We've got to show them and teach them about cars. It's the most wonderful time of the year. The Car Doctor. But I'm somebody that's very careful about, you know, the procedures on my vehicle. And I, no kidding, Bob, I really commend you for that. You know, how important is it? Tape your mouth shut and hold your nose. How important is it to breathe? Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, The Car Doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now, here's Ronnie. Hey, thanks for stopping by the garage today. Ronnie and the car doctor at your service. Without uh, any further ado or hesitation, let us kick the garage doors wide open and go talk to Jared in Wisconsin. Jared, welcome to the car doctor, sir. What's going on? Hey, how's it going? Uh, I got a 2015 Chevy Silverado. Uh, only notice it in cold weather, about 35 degrees or colder, that the radio won't turn on when I start. The dash lights, everything turns up, but it just sounds like sound's not coming out. Okay. I let it warm up for just a few minutes, shut it off completely, and it has to, like, the dash lights go dim, everything. Um, start back up, everything works fine on it. And and when the radio doesn't produce sound, does does, does this have the, the radio display, or does this have a dash display, you know, with the Chevy symbol in the yep. my Digital link so you'll, yep. you'll, you'll see the my link and so on but the correct. radio itself doesn't work correct and when we say the radio doesn't work there is a separate on off button that powers the radio you don't even see the face of the radio really no, correct no, no. the faces radio the displays working i can change stations and flip through different apps right. and everything like that on the dash but just no sound will come okay out. It is probably the radio, and I'll tell you what brings me to that conclusion, and I can tell you the things that the mechanic should check. The, the, the first thing would be once they duplicate it, obviously it's temperature-related, I would want to scan for codes, all right? And I would look particularly in, in the area of the body computer, the BCM, and also the radio as a module itself. That, that radio, like most of that vehicle, is on a controlled area network. And when we have components that don't work, chances are we're going to see a communication fault. You know, mom's not talking yep. to dad, dad's not talking to the kids, that kind of a thing. Or we're going to see something along the lines that it's just not there at all. Now, the simple things to look for is that back of that radio. I just went through this, can you tell? The back of that radio yeah. has two major plugs in it. It has an 18-gang connector over on the passenger side, and it has a 24-gang connector over on the driver's side, or some approximation of that if they're similar. I worked on a uh, 16, and I'm still working on a 15 Equinox. It's giving us grief. The radio itself is powered on at pin 44, heavy red wire white stripe, and it's grounded yep. on 38 black wire white stripe over on the opposite side of that connector. If it's got power and ground, but it's not showing up on the bus, then it's internal in the radio. What, what, I'd, be, right. what I'd be curious is, and I'm, you know, I, when I start to diagnose these things, if I don't have a, um, a, a GM electronic service center nearby that can test it, and I wonder if they would even catch it because it's doing it when it's cold, 
is well, and that's the only thing is when it's yeah. cold, it doesn't matter. It's only once in a while, and sometimes it can be ten below and turn on everything works fine. It's not consistent when it's cold, and like I said, it never does it usually oh. when it's above thirty five degrees. And I thought this was going to be hard, so you know, <laughs> yeah. I I would. I've had it for a couple of years doing yeah, it now. <laughs> I would I would be the one. I would take the radio, have access to it, so that it's out of the dash, and I would take the radio, put it in the freezer overnight, and then plug it in in the morning and see you know does it work and if it, if, if, it. if i if i couldn't get the radio to work then i know that since the vehicle if the vehicle's in a warm garage and i take the radio out of a cold freezer and i put it right in and start it right up and the and the radio doesn't work then i know it's not vehicle related because the vehicle's under warm conditions okay yeah. Uh, but the radio's not yeah, working. I've, I've, I've kind of narrowed it down. But like I said, short of going to that extreme, looking at fault codes, I'm looking for communication issues. I would not be surprised if it's a radio. GM's got some issues with radios right now. Just so, okay. you, just so you understand how that system works, there are three main components to the average GM radio right now. There's the the silver box, as we call it, which is basically what we all think of as the radio but that's not really the radio that's just the box all right the silver yep. box where if you're going to put the cd the cd goes or it's it's the receiver per se and then the on off button is all is is part of either the heater and ac control panel or it's a separate control panel by itself depending upon the option code on the vehicle that is the radio control and then the display panel is the display now dig this this is how it works the radio actually sits between the radio control panel or the on off button and the display panel so the radio is sort of like the radio is like your mom when you weren't talking to your brother all right she's the one in the middle you know she's telling yeah. everybody what to do and everybody has to listen even the on off button the on off button gets a four volt signal coming out of the radio and the pushing the button if you notice you can mute the volume and then turn the radio off all the way by holding it down there you're you're actually changing that four volt signal coming out of the radio so it knows whether or not to be on or muted or off and just turn off so yeah none of that stuff as far as shutting it all the way down the radio down and just turn it back on wouldn't bring it back up right you had to shut down the vehicle. Yeah. The only other thing i can think of and i might be crazier it might just be coincidence it seems like when i turn my blinker on you can't hear the clicking when the radio is working. I don't know if that's just me thinking that right now or if that's actually well that it does make a noise when it clicks on that. You know, that is that is one test. If the radio doesn't work, uh, if the radio doesn't work, stop the truck, shut it off, open the door with the key in the ignition. Yep. Does the chime work? All right. Because the chime is also part of that radio system as well and if you can't hear the chime then i'm going to lean more towards the radio being a fault as well all right so that's uh that's another simple you know without a scan tool way to look at it too the, yeah, whether or not yeah, the chime exactly. works whether or not the blinker works it, you know if you can't hear the blinker and the radio's not working and then all of a sudden you notice the blinker's working and the radio's working you know you're probably headed towards a fault in the radio itself Electronics. That's great basically stuff. Basically, just replacing that whole unit. Then, yeah, they'll exchange the unit, and they can run anywhere. I was just having this conversation with someone in the industry this week. We were talking about the price of radios. Now he's coming. Tim's coming from a Nissan dealer. We we're talking about it. The price of a radio in the average Nissan right now, 
I, I hate to tell you, if it's got driver assist, if it's got automatic driver assist system in it, ADOS, you could yep. spend you could spend five grand on a radio. Well, so I was wondering if it's better just to get something that's aftermarket. Is well, aftermarket stuff that has that same stuff on there. That but but here's the problem. Okay, so now you've got a radio. You know, you've got a computer on the network. All right, and you're going to take that computer out of the network, and that computer is responsible for the. You know, you're going to get rid of mom. How, who's yeah, going yeah, who's, exactly. who's to talk to yeah. you and your brother? So now you've got to get a radio that talks to you and your brother at the same level, with the same with the same encryption, the same data, the same signal, the same controlled area network information. And I don't see how I don't see how the aftermarket stereo business is going to survive. Yeah. You know, going forward, how is Pioneer, Panasonic, Samsung? How are they going to duplicate? You know everything that an uh, an ADOS radio or an ADOS equipped vehicle is going to duplicate. They probably can't really duplicate what that fifteen Silverado does. Now, yeah. they can they can make a radio work in a car. Sure, different on off button, different. But boy, I'll tell you what, they're going to have to invest a ton of money in order to stay you know current and keep a lot of these businesses in in business. And that's why we talk about it all the time, the change that's coming that, you know, every time you open up the front door to greet news in the automotive industry, it's just staggering how fast it's, it's, it's evolving and spinning on its way through the universe. Yeah. yeah. Very, yeah. very much it, out of control. Can I run into different issues with that? Because I'm looking at a few grand for radio. It's on back. I think I might live without it. Well, I, I think it's a conversation you have to have with... The, the radio manufacturer. Hey, listen, I've got a 15 Silverado. I don't want to be setting false codes. I want to retain all the current vehicle capability. Is yeah. your vehicle? I know your I know your radio will fit in the hole in the dashboard, but will your radio emulate and duplicate everything the manufacturer had the vehicle designed to do? Yep. I, I think it's a fair question. And if you get a bunch of um, uh, uh, you know, hems and haws, and it, even if they say yeah. yes, I want to see it in writing. Yeah, exactly. So I want to see it in writing. Now, you may find that, and General Motors has around the country certain electronic repair facilities that you can send your radio in to be tested and or repaired. And it might typically be at the, fra and it would likely be at the fraction of the cost of replacing it with new. And when I say fraction, it might be seven $800 instead of, you know, three, four thousand. Yeah, yeah. Uh, money, but, but, you know, you may not have a choice. And that's the world oh, yeah, of radios today. Uh, you know, that's the world of radios today. It's it's not going to get simpler. It's definitely going to get more complicated. All well, right, Jared. Appreciate all your help. Well, yeah, thank yeah. you very much. You're very welcome, sir. Let us know. Uh, let us know what happens if you need more. We're here. Eight five 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 six zero nine nine zero zero. Running in the car doctor. Coming back right after this. It's the he drives that way, but when it comes to fixing cars, Ron has car advice done right. 855-560-9900. Here's Ron. You know, to follow up and continue on that vein of thought regarding the ADOS, the automatic, automatic, automated driver assist systems, and, you know, that's, that's self-steering, self-driving, self-parking, all that stuff, anything involving the use of the camera to look at the road. So... There are issues now they're finding where you look at how critical this stuff is. And this is, you know, we were just having a conversation with Jared in Wisconsin about his radio. And can you replace it with a standard radio? Well, no, because the radio is now an essential part of the ADOS system on a lot of vehicles. That if a vehicle comes out of the body shop and the frame rail or the frame or the unibody, whatever you want to refer to it as, 
is off by more than two millimeters. Two millimeters. Think of how big two millimeters is. The vehicle can't be aligned and it can't be calibrated. They can't calibrate the ADAS system and it has to go back and have something pulled, pushed, tweaked, prodded, and pulled. So look at the critical dimension that we're working with that it makes you think perhaps you wonder where body shops are going to be in four or five years. Are they going to be able to, to repair this stuff? And I'm sure they will, but at what cost? And, you know, what does that do to the cost of owning a vehicle in terms of how much more will insurance companies charge us to make up for the losses they're taking for the extra repair effort required on ADOS vehicles, um, automated driver assist systems, to keep them on the road? And you just you just wonder. We had a and, – and, and it started a long time ago. We had simple – heck, we had an 06 Ford F-150 in the shop this week. We were doing front shocks. Now, the front shocks on an F-150 of this generation were shock and spring together. The spring had cracked. It had 318,000 miles on it. It was due, right? And, you know, we were, we, were, we were looking at, you know, what do we put on this? Well, we customer wanted to save uh, – Oh, I don't know. I don't even know what we were saving. I think we were saving 20 bucks, but the guy was adamant. He wanted aftermarket shocks and struts for it. So we got aftermarket shocks for the front. We put it in, and the perch between the ear of the lower control arm, the shock was moving back and forth. It was so sloppy, I would have had to have put a washer shim or a washer or a shim of some kind to keep it from moving. No, no, no. We're not doing this, all right? I kind of put my foot down. I said, you know, I don't get it. 20 bucks a side, who cares? Ordered a pair of Motocraft front struts for it. Okay, dropped them in. You know, Motocraft saw the problem. They actually put an extra, or the, I guess it comes that way from the factory, they actually put an extra wide washer on the on the shock that it fit perfectly between the ears, and it, it worked really well. That, you know, there was no Mickey Mousing, there was no games, there was no playing. And again, you know, sometimes nothing fits like an OE part or an OE, you know, caliber quality part and hands off to Motocraft because that's what they did, and they did it right, and that's where the future is. Everything is going to have to be that, you know, no slop dimension, all right? It's just that critical. Um, so enough said. Trevor, New York City, batteries. How can I help, sir? Hey, hello? Yes, sir. How can I help, Trevor? You're on. Hey, how you doing, Ron? Good. Thanks for taking my call. You're welcome. I what do you a, got? I have a question regarding the interview you had with the guys on Optima Batteries. Okay. Weeks ago. Okay. And he had mentioned that it was a good idea for car owners to maintain their battery once a month on a charger. Okay. So I so I was surprised. He said this. I was wondering, like, how would car owners do that? Do they just go to any uh, like? Would they have? Is it a do-it-yourself thing or? Well, I think a, I think if I know, recall the conversation right, Trevor, that he was referencing the vehicles that tend to sit. All right. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure we were we were having a conversation about collector cars at that point in the interview, and he was talking mm-hmm. about the vehicles that t- tend to sit or maybe short distance driving. Now, you know the old school of thought of, and it used to be years ago, uh, back in the '70s and maybe the early '80s. Yeah, there was Mrs. Jones who went, you know, 20 miles a week, and the car didn't really come up to full temp, and the car didn't really get driven a whole lot. We'd throw a charge on the battery once, you know, maybe when she came in for an oil change, we'd charge it up and, you know, something okay. along those lines. But as far as if you're driving an everyday vehicle, a bread-and-butter, you know, basic 
transportation, Ford, Toyota, etc., non-AGM caliber vehicle. I don't mm-hmm. see the need, and I don't think that's what he was referring. I have seen on AGM vehicles where the need comes up for the vehicle that is short trip that never gets out for the long ride. And this may be the opposite of the AGM intention, but I have run into the experience where charging the battery on an AGM vehicle, AGM-equipped battery vehicle, every you know 90 to 120 days seems to make a difference in battery life and also how well it will handle the cold weather. So, you know, I could I could agree with that statement, but it would it would require just hooking it up to a battery charger. What kind of car are you driving? Well, I have two. I have the Ford Explorer, and I have a Honda or the Honda Accord, 04 Honda Accord. Okay. So both tend to sit like you could say maybe three, three, four days out out of the week. Right. Right. Do they sit outside so, or inside? Outside. Okay. How about a solar charger? A solar charger? Yeah, they okay. make they make they make solar chargers now. They're like the size of a tablet, and it's got a set of leads off of it that'll connect directly to the battery. You run the wires out under the hood. You can actually leave the solar charger on the dashboard, and I've seen where they'll plug into the cigarette lighter. If the cigarette lighter is hot, you know, I mean it works with the key off. You can actually plug the solar charger into the cigarette lighter receptacle, and it will charge back to the battery. And it gets sun rays coming in through the dashboard, and that solar charger will trickle charge and maintain the battery. They're out there; they do work. Oh, okay. Yeah, they well, do. Work. And I, I do have a I do have a battery charger for uh, I have an AGM battery for um, a trolling motor for marine purposes for right. fishing right. and stuff. Right. So I have a battery charger. That battery charger supposedly, according to the manual, it charges. AGMs as well as regular, regular Volvo car batteries. Right. And yeah, so, but yeah. I have to plug. But I have to plug that in, of course. Of course, and and you're talking right, like a trickle charger idea, and those work too. So you know, you're you're probably the example of what he was talking about, which is probably why it got your attention. Yeah, I would I would start thinking about solar charging those two batteries, those two vehicles, the Explorer and the Honda Accord. Like I said, they're the size of a tablet. They do work. And to throw that trickle charger or that maintainer on that AGM battery makes perfect sense to me. Appreciate the call, Trevor. Hey, coming up next, Paul Eisenstein, the DetroitBureau.com. What's new in the world of automotive? Stick around and find out. I'm Ron Anany and the Car Doctor. We're back right after this. Welcome back, Ron Anany, the Car Doctor. Our next guest is no stranger to the media. He is the seer, or maybe the sayer. Maybe the all-knowing would be a better way. He is the wizard of what's going on in the world of automotive, uh, new and upcoming, and uh, how they're coping with the changing in technology, and we're glad and lucky to have him. Paul Eisenstein of the Detroit Bureau, the DetroitBureau.com. Mr. Eisenstein, welcome back, sir. Happy Thanksgiving. And happy Thanksgiving to you, too. Um, Getting the whole holiday run, aren't we? Yeah, I'll tell you what. Now we go into the, you know, the next 30 days of chaos and pandemonium as uh, we all try to, you know, what's the next great gift? So... I'm yeah, easy. I'm yeah. easy. Just buy me a new vet. I'll be happy. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. Well, you got to wait for that. It's going yeah. to be a while before the C8 uh, comes close to being uh, up to what they had planned in terms of production. Yeah, they haven't. They really haven't come back from the strike yet, right? They're still fighting their way back in terms of you know um, uh, supply and, and 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 you know manufacturing and so on. Yeah, it's going to take a little while before they recover. Cause that was a 40-day strike, so. 
uh, that's a lot of lost production. And yeah. some products are just going to be having to wait a little longer than others. And do you think it hurt the Corvette? Let's talk specifically that. I mean, is it, has it hurt or has it just increased the demand for it? It's hard to tell. It's hard to tell right now. Uh, we'll, we'll have to wait and see what it's like once once uh, they actually reach showrooms. It might have helped uh, in one way. They had a lot of the old or C7 Corvettes left on factory lots, uh, dealer lots, I should say. Right. So uh, perhaps they were able to clear those out a little bit, people that were willing to just stick with the old model uh, rather than have to wait three, four, five months more. To get the new one. Was there a shortage of cars in any way, Paul? Certain models, because I'm here. I heard some stories that you know other manufacturers were not so kind on their discounts to consumers because they couldn't find the truck they wanted at GM. They went over to Ford or Toyota or Nissan, and and you know Nissan they knew, and they said, well, you know, it's no, it's not that. It's this. Um, do you think that hurt uh, the consumer? Uh, I think it probably didn't help. Uh, there are a few places where the battle is so intense right now that automakers were giving great discounts to try to steal some business away from GM. Uh, one of the best examples is over in the full-size truck market, where in spite of uh, potential shortages by by uh, Chevy and GMC, uh, you, you saw Chrysler, for example, offering five, six, seven, I've heard even over $10,000 in discounts once you uh, negotiate with the dealer to get into a Ram. And, and it's paid off. Oh, yeah. Uh, how can they do that? Off. How can you take 10 it, grand off the price of a vehicle? Where, where's the profit go? You know what? They're still the most profitable vehicles they sell. Uh, the, the, there is so much profit built into a full-size pickup. People would just be blown away. Even with the discounting, these are the single largest source of profitability for the big three Detroit automakers. Have you ever looked at or done any research on, you know, take a $50,000 vehicle. What does it cost the manufacturers to build? Yeah, I've seen different numbers for different vehicles, and it does vary quite a bit. I'll tell you the one thing which probably would surprise people. As you know, Fiat Chrysler got a new contract with the UAW today, and it'll, it'll definitely drive up costs a bit because some of those temp workers are now going to be salaried, uh, not salary, I should say, full-time, and so on. But when you add it all up, the labor cost that goes into the typical vehicle in, uh, in, in a Detroit automaker showroom uh, is only about 11% of the sticker price. So some people think, oh, my God, these, these fat cat union workers, they're the reason my prices are going up so, so much. Well, the reality is labor is a relatively small portion of today's car's cost. Right. Yeah, I, I've got to I've got to think even more than raw materials, and you correct me if I'm wrong, but I've got to think product development and the technology to make the electronics alone work at the level that they work has to be at the top of the list. Well, I, I don't think it's at the top of the list, but certainly all the electronic technology going into vehicles is bringing costs up quite a bit. And and remember that that covers so much on a vehicle, a high end products, say a, a BMW uh, X7 or or 7 Series or the 8 Series, a Mercedes S-Class and the like, those may have as many as 100 or more different microprocessors on board. 
I mean, that's more computers than even the, the, the biggest smart home fan is going to have inside of their home. Right. And, and certainly a lot of the technology's costs are going up because you're adding sensors, radar and cameras and sonar and everything else. Uh, the good news is a lot of what they're adding every year, you know, you go to the showroom and you, you find they've added new technologies, uh, features like curve control, uh, all sorts of smart cruise control technologies, auto braking, and so on. Much of that is using the same technology, the same sensors they may have had a year before, but it's all because they're able to write new software. And and there the costs aren't nearly as expensive. Right, and they're uh, getting more out of but, it. But it, it's pretty amazing. When you look at what you have now in the showroom, uh, these are more and more becoming computers on wheels. Yeah. You know, we were talking uh, prior to you coming on, we were having a conversation with some of the listeners today uh, regarding radios and, and how the radio, one fellow, his radio didn't work and he wanted to change it on his late model Chevy pickup. And I said, you know, the problem is you're going to take this essential piece of the of the can of the controlled area network out of the system and hope mm -hmm. that that, you know, and I'm just going to use it as an example, that that Pioneer or Panasonic piece that you bolt in has the same capability and function. It's becoming harder and harder. You go back 20, 25 years, aftermarket radios were pretty popular. These days, they're very rare. Uh, for one thing, if you look into most cars today, the, the radio, uh, the head unit, as it were, plugs into, to your point, into a fairly complex system and, more importantly, is controlled by the touchscreen. Uh, I, I think five years from now, it will be virtually impossible to find a vehicle on the road that has a, a, a standalone radio where, you know, you have the old-fashioned knobs on front of it. Everything, even the base models, right. are going to touchscreen-controlled electronics, and it's going to be harder and harder, if not impossible, to buy an audio system uh, to sub out for the one that your car came with. Do you think that we're on the path towards the end of aftermarket radios, Paul? I mean, how will Pioneer and Panasonic and Samsung, and how will they all compete? I think they'll have to make deals with the factory to try to get their cars in in the first place. And you're seeing more and more you know, of these deals, Bose radios and GM and a lot of other products, B&O, name. Uh, NAIM, which is in Bentley, and uh, the top-end unit there can cost an extra ten, fifteen thousand dollars for the upgrade. Right. Uh, so you know all these all these high-end audio suppliers are trying to get in at least as an as the uh, upgrade system, uh, and manufacturers are now more and more offering uh, real high premium-end systems that you can upgrade to when you begin with. Uh, right, right from the start. Uh, but yeah, I think it's going to be very difficult going forward okay. for a company like Panasonic or the like to be able to offer an aftermarket unit because it's all part of a very complex system. Right. And it's going to get even more so. Have you been in any of the new Mercedes-Benz vehicles with the new MBUX no, uh, no. voice assistant? Oh, well, uh, I, I saw a demo of it, but I wasn't in the vehicle. Yeah. Uh, talk about yeah, a rocket ship. 
Yeah, I'm sure you have, have been, if you don't have at home, you've at least seen how uh, Amazon's Alexa or Google yeah. Home or, of course, Siri on, a, on a, uh, uh, an iPhone work. You know, you can go over to it and say, hey, Siri, and ask her to do something, and I hope I just didn't trigger mine. Yeah. Uh, you I was, know, go, I was oh, wondering if you were going to trigger yeah. mine. I've got one sitting behind me here in the studio. I was waiting to yeah. see if it woke up. So Yeah. Um, well, uh, well we, the, the MBUX comes pretty darn close to being the same sort of thing built into your car. And I have to tell you, it's really funny. Uh, uh, last weekend, we had a Mercedes we were playing with, and we were toying with the system. And it's not quite as smart as, as Amazon's Alexa. And it kept repeating itself. And my, my wife got frustrated and said, shut the mm, 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 up, mm. To, which, uh, to which the Mercedes responded, you first. Whoa, a little bit of attitude. Must must have been programmed here in New York. Hey, Paul, sit tight. Let me pull over and take a pause, and we'll return right after this. I'm Ron Indian, the car doctor. We're here with Paul Eisenstein of the DetroitBureau.com. Don't go away. We're back right after this. Welcome back. Ron Indian, the car doctor with Paul Eisenstein of the Detroit Bureau. Paul, I, you know, with our time left, I want to talk a little bit. GM came out with some bold predictions this week. They claim they're on track to make 20 electric vehicles by 2023. Is that what, do you, what can you tell us about yeah. that? Well, they had originally said, going back a couple of years, that they would have 20 all electric vehicles, not plug ins, not hybrids, 20 all electric vehicles, much like the Chevrolet Bolt and an all-electric SUV that will be coming for the Cadillac brand next year. Um, they've been slow to get out of the box. A lot of people were starting to think, eh, they're not going to make that target. But I had the chance to talk to, um, uh, to the head of their electrification program just a few days ago, and we have the story up on the DetroitBureau.com, and he says they are absolutely on track. Now, what's interesting is there is a big split in the auto industry, as to how to go about electrifying. You know, a lot of manufacturers are doing a mix of things. Um, Ford, as you know, at the L.A. Auto Show, introduced the Mach-E, that Mustang electric vehicle. And the, uh, the Ford approach is to have a mix of things. They'll have regular hybrids, plug-in hybrids, and all-electric models. Toyota is primarily focusing on hybrids and a few plug-ins. GM is basically taking the attitude, if they're going to do anything with electric, it's going to be pure battery electric. They are moving away from hybrids. And as you know, they pulled the plug on the Chevrolet Bolt Volt with a V plug-in hybrid, and they're probably not going to have any of those going forward. When, when you say plug-in, Paul, the difference between a plug-in and an electric vehicle is what? All right. So, yeah, it does get pretty confusing. And let me do a very fast one, if you'll allow me. Yeah. I'll, uh, I'll talk a little bit about the various green vehicles out there. And some of them are subtle differences, but they're, but they're still significant. So you have so-called micro-hybrids that use 48-volt technology. Uh, the new uh, Jeep Wrangler and the new Ram 1500 pickup both have micro-hybrid technology, as does the new uh, uh, Land Rover Defender. And that's very low power, small battery. Uh, the battery may just make it easier to do that stop-start technology, you know, where your engine shuts off at a, when you're idling. It may also give you a little bit extra boost 
at a light. When you step on the gas, you get maybe a second or two of additional torque uh, to pull load if you're doing a ram or maybe a bit more power if you're in a sports car. Then you have conventional hybrids like the Toyota Prius, the best-known example of a regular hybrid. And it uses a mix of battery and gas power, uh, sometimes shutting off the engine entirely and running solely electric, but most of the time running gas and using the electric to help improve fuel economy. Then you have plug-ins, and these you can charge. They may have a medium-sized battery pack, excuse me, and in some cases they'll run solely electric, the idea being for commuting or running your chores, it may give you anywhere from about 15 to about 30 or even 40 miles of pure electric. But when you need extra burst of power or when the battery runs down, the gasoline motor will fire up and continue driving. <laughs> you don't have to worry about range anxiety because you're always going to be able to drive on gas power right. if the battery dies. Right. And then the top end of the spectrum, of course, is the pure battery electric vehicle, often referred to as a BEV. Now, plug, where it gets confusing, is when I say plug-in, that can refer to, or plug-based, it can refer to a variety of different vehicles, including something like the Chevy Volt, which is that plug-in hybrid. It can run on gas or electric or it can refer to a pure battery electric vehicle. So, sorry, folks, it does get a little confusing out there. And I guess it's going to be reflected in the technology going forward. We're all going to be a little confused until it settles out. Paul, our time is just about up. The listeners can go where? The DetroitBureau.com for more information? Absolutely, the DetroitBureau.com. We've been putting a lot up about electrification. So if you're a skeptic or if you're a proponent, we... Uh, We'd love to come. Uh, we'd love to have you come and talk a little bit uh, back to us. Let us know what you think. Cool, Bant. We'll see if we can arrange that for you. Paul, as always, sir, you are my wizard of automotive information, and I thank you for taking the time today. It's always a pleasure. So you take good care and have a good holiday. I'm Ron Anany and the Car Doctor. We're back right after this. Welcome back. Ron Anany the Car Doctor. Once again, thanks to Paul Eisenstein of the Detroit Bureau, the DetroitBureau.com. Get out there. You can read his articles on electric vehicles and everything else. Paul and his staff uh, just so capable and so great. It's just it's, We're very fortunate to have him, and he's very generous with his time. And uh, we're grateful to him for that as we get to talk to him and explain to you uh, the changes in the technology of uh, the automobile. And um, always a good time. Always a good time. He could... We're going to have to do him for an hour one of these days because I bet you he could do it, too, without even thinking about it. He's got so much information stored up in his head. Hey, um, just a quick point. So I had a 2017 Chevy Tahoe in the shop this week. Now, a 2017 Tahoe, Chevy Tahoe, is a 1234YF refrigerant. It is the newest style air conditioning refrigerant in use. And the problem is there are some very strict diagnostic procedures that you have to follow in order to repair these systems. The machine wouldn't allow the system to be charged because there was a leak. Now, you can't use refrigerant to look for the leak. because Well, you don't want to, number one, because of the expense, and uh, they've got issues with releasing chemicals into the atmosphere, so they're, they're coming up with alternative methods. We used, from Automotive Test Solutions, CO2, carbon dioxide. And I, we've been playing around with it for a while. We've been using it on evaporative emission systems. We used it on the AC system work flawlessly. If you go out to YouTube, 
or our Facebook page, Ron Ananian, The Car Doctor. But go out to YouTube, search Ron Ananian. It's the, it's the first video in line, the most recent video in line. I think you'll enjoy it. It's uh, worth taking a look at new technology. Till the next time, I'm Ron Ananian, The Car Doctor, reminding you, good mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless. Thank you.